Good morning, people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank one minute at a time. I'm your co-host, Dev. And I'm your other co-host, Hugh David. And today's show, we are looking at minute nine. We're really moving through them now. Joining us on today's show, we have self-professed generic nerd, Billy Holku. Say hello. Hey, guys. How are you doing, Billy? Oh, all good. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. I can, can I just say, by the way, that your nerdery is without doubt not in question when one looks at the, what's around you at the back. <laughs> Oh, yeah. no, I know what you're about. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you not watching the episode, Billy has quite the collection of DVDs and games uh, in his yeah. backdrop. It's uh, like I'll be a little bit embarrassed to say what I've got in that <laughs> in that collection. Um, yeah, it's uh, but fitting with the movie is is a lot of fighting, a lot of action, a lot of horror, but uh, a lot of uh, rom coms as well. Yes, yes, you you and I are very much uh, people who are into the rom coms in, in an interesting way, and and I think that's because we haven't got to it yet. That's the aspect of the film we haven't talked about in detail yet. But uh, we may have to have you back at another time to get into that side of it uh, yeah. because I think that's probably the least talked about part of the film when people get together to talk about mm. it people always talk about the comedy they talk about the action they talk about the music and actually i think there's i think there's something interesting really interesting going on in the relationship between mini driver and john and um, john cusack yeah oh definitely uh um, and it all reflects all together it's it's great it's um it's one of my favorite parts on the movie mm. their um the relationship there uh, how she keeps going on, but that's uh, we'll save that for yeah. uh, future episodes. So, Dev, set us up. Minute nine. Where are we and what's happening? So, we're the best part through the week now for Billy, and we're finally getting to some action for him. Um, <laughs> in this minute, we have um, Mr. Martin Blank uh, actually executing his uh, next hit. He has uh, set up in the room above his target's room and has lowered a camera and now also a um, cord down to uh, drop some some poison down. And I think that is where we're at. He's just started dripping the poison down and we see the start of the failure of this hit where the uh, target turns their head just as the poison is about to drop into their mouth. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, interesting design, interesting lighting, very stylized. This is the bit that feels... You were, we were saying in the, one of the previous episodes about Ken, the difficulty of placing Gross Point Blank sometimes because of the... Of, of, as is the way, when it's shot, because it's some, some aspects of it are so timeless. Uh, this is one that is very 80s into 90s. The lighting, the purple and green, and and yes. you know, and I hadn't really you know associated why this is also a completely silent minute. There is mm. no lyrics, there is no dialogue in this entire minute. Mm. Um, but I think when you have that long shot, the the framing shot for this scene uh, in the last minute of that neon lit hotels strip of hotels. Mm. I think that explains the lighting here. It's it's that situation that you get in hotels like that, or if you've stayed in a motel in the US where they've got the the neon sign up front to catch the eye of folks on the highway. 
there is no way of blocking that light out of a hotel room. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're using to, to provide the illumination here. Um, it also, I feel like the editing of this sequence is super different to what we've seen previously. It's a lot of very, very zoomed in shots, mm -hmm. a lot of very quick cuts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the only time that we have longer shots is when we're actually watching that poison dribble down the court. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like the the fast cuts are trying to underscore how painfully slow this process is. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fast cuts. And then when it actually comes to that poison coming down that cord, it down. it's long, slow shots really highlighting how patient and how controlled this method of execution is. Mm. I mean that's that's part of what one of the, what I think is part of the genius of Armistice as a director is that understanding of the audience's instinctive response to editing. You know, the moment that like the liquid starts to slowly drip down, if you cut too quickly, then it won't feel as slow as you want as it actually is. You know, you want the audience to feel that. Um, and as, as you just said, that that is marvelous. I keep trying to remember where I've seen that method of assassination in a film before, and I can't. Like I've been thinking about this for weeks I, now, and I can't work out. I, I want to say it's one of James Bond. Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, uh, it's I think Octopussy. Um, oh. No, was it? It may was not it be Octopussy. It is one of the Sean Connerys, I think, where he is not Roger uh, Moore. They're trying to they're trying to kill Bond, right? Right. Uh, I want to say, is it the one when he's in Japan as well? I guess. Ooh, oh, that that might be, might be it. Might, yeah. um, yes, because yeah. that, I realized the octopusy one I was thinking of. I think was actually those rotating buzzsaw discs that are dropped on him, yeah. which is a little bit more fast-paced. He only lived twice <laughs> than, than dripping water. <laughs> uh, right here we go. Uh, it's you only, uh, only live twice. Um, yes. Yes, because the the Japanese secret intelligence service agent, who's a female ninja, who is required to mm. pretend to be his wife, she's the one who ends up taking the, the because she he rolls over, she rolls over, and she ends up taking it the poison. That's yeah. right. Blowfield, yeah, yeah. here we go. It's in uh, Blowfield orders Asato, and uh, on Blowfield's orders, Asato had sent ninja assassins to kill Bond, one of whom enters the bedroom where Bond and Aki are sleeping together and tries to poison Bond by dripping poison down a thread. Uh, Roald Dahl, who wrote the script, took inspiration for this by watching a similar scene uh, in the first film in the Shinobi no Mono ninja film series. Uh, so it's a deliberate uh, ninja. So, hey, later, we get, get back to ninja. Okay. Ninja! I want. Yeah. I was actually thinking if it was one of those uh, fabled um, ninja tactics. Mm. Yeah, know. and and, let's, um, and that doesn't that seem to fit Martin Q. Blank quite well. Well, of course, yeah, because ninjas were assassins and and they dress all in black. Is, uh, <laughs> oh, all in black. Or pricks into dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the the something we said earlier actually, but in a different episode, we would when we talked about grocer and. Um, blank when they get out of the car and the way they're doing it like oh, a, a, they're almost doing like a parody of the western dance of death from Sergio Leone yeah. the way they're holding like trying not to pull guns on each other and the way they're moving around but mm -hmm. the other thing is also there's kind of a um uh I was explaining to the to 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 um uh Will to McKay and um Dev the idea of um 
that business in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood of the whole thing of Bruce Lee and his stillness versus the Western pugilist, you mm. know, keep throwing fists. And I feel like there's something of that in the way Cusack holds his position in a very Bruce Lee kind of fashion, whereas yeah. Aykroyd was very much kind of, you know, big movements and, you know. Yeah, very square, very square on. Mm. Yeah, because mm. uh, um, a lot of uh, skilled fighters as well, as you see it in uh, boxing, etc., um, they everyone always faces slightly more to the side mm-hmm. that way because it's you're trying to shrink your body mm-hmm. uh, so you have less targets to you. So when he's got that gun or when he's when, when he's walking towards Grosso, he's walking sideways to him. It's probably because like he's tr- trying to protect his uh, vital organs. Ah. As it were. So as he shoots, he's shooting from underneath his armpit. As it were. Would you agree that in Gross Point Blank, it looks less like uh, an experienced combat move and more like crabs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely parody it, don't they? <laughs> well, yeah, it's of course, yeah, it's like yes, it's, it's the comedic element of um, you know they're trying to signal that uh, both of them don't trust each other. Yeah, they're trying to be friendly, yeah. so yeah, we're we you know we're workmates, but there's that clear divide that you will kill me or I'll kill you at the slightest bit of a danger. There, Got you. yeah, yeah, they also have that moment of circling around each other, and it's really only. Dan Aykroyd's character that's doing the circling. Yeah, mm. that's true. Martin Blank is kind of very, very stuck. By comparison, more, more kind of following him kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I love I love the dynamics. I love how thought through this is because, uh, you know, and it's the same here with this assassination. You know, there we are remembering it's a Bond thing. It's a Bond thing borrowed from a, a ninjutsu thing. It's a, you know, there's all these elements yeah, again, you know, we're watching an American movie building on all of these elements that come from elsewhere in cinema, uh, that come from you know, both historically and like even if Armitage and Cusack don't know that the Bond one is borrowed from the ninja, they've they know where the they know it's the Bond film. Um and I think this is yet yeah, another wonderful example of like the cross pollination between Eastern and Western film ideas and the way things keep moving between them. Because there's loads of assassination stuff in Eastern cinema throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, lone assassins doing their thing is fairly common. Um, and I'm not just in Hong Kong. I mean, Japan, you've got the Gogo 13 manga, which gets turned into live action films in two different periods with two great stars of Japan, Japanese film, Kenta Kura in one and Sonny Chiba in the other. Uh, and then um, 80s Hong Kong is absolutely chock full of lone assassins doing their thing. Um, you know, John was the killer, obviously, but then you've also got um, Simon Yam does. Um, oh, crikey, what's the one that's a version of Crying Freeman? Totally forgotten now. The one that was shot in London. Anyway, Simon. Yeah, yeah Simon. Simon yeah. yeah, he was in a really low budget, but very high on squibs. Uh, action, uh, heroic <laughs> bloodshed action that they shot in London, and it's a version of Crying okay. Freeman, but an unofficial version. Okay. And then you've got the Crying Freeman okay. manga as well. So this is. Yeah, I do. I often wonder how much of this stuff sort of leaks into. Like, I don't imagine that Cusack ever watched a, you know, ever read a manga or watched anime before this. But this, it just always feels like somebody somewhere is yeah. aware. Yeah, it's just got yeah. Well, you just got those um, influences just bombarding you um, back in back in those times, like the seventies and eighties. Mm. So it could be that he's like, as obviously as an actor and writer etc he would have probably caught those influences maybe secondhand mm-hmm. we, we don't know mm-hmm. um 
But, but then again, you know, later on in his career, he starts working with uh, Chow Yun-Fat in uh, Shanghai. And, oh, you know, so there is that. that's true. I've forgotten about that. He does mm. get to work with Chow, doesn't he? Um, yeah. And also it's 97. So in 96, uh, you've got, there's a number of films that are coming out at this point that where the Hong Kong, this is the, these are the years of Hong Kong's style moving into the American mainstream. And you've got, you know, John Woo comes over to do his first film, Hard Target, the year this comes out. Um, You've then got uh, Ringo Lam comes out over to work with Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren gets in the game as well. But then you also have the stuntmen come over. They get to work on various films, which climaxes with the the Matrix and Charlie's Angels and and, Mm -hmm. and all this, the, the style and the ideas slowly move in. And then, but one of the most wonderful examples of this is Die Hard 2. Because Joel Silver, apparently, rumor has it, having seen um, uh, John Woo's films at a at a film festival in California, got prints of everything and made any director working for him sit down and watch these films. <laughs> Hence, why all of the Joel Silver '90s films start to have two guns and loads of slow mo. You know, the whole sequence in Die Hard Two with the um, conveyor belt, where with yep. the slow mo and he comes with the pistol. Uh... That's all because of. Silver saying to Rennie Harlan, you need to watch these films and I want you to figure out how we can make films like that. And I feel like mm. Ross Point Blank is slightly unintentionally, you know, in that lane and then slightly intentionally as well, because obviously there's later on, without a shadow of a doubt, the most important connection to Hong Kong, but we'll, we'll have to come back to that another time. Um, so, yeah, so this killing is, um, yeah, it's a very, 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 very still moment. Like you said, Dev, there's no conversation at all. It's just no dialogue. It's just slow death. And and so that brings us to the other thing that a lot of movies by minutes kind of uh, love to dial in on, in in part because there's a lot of movies by minutes that cover uh, movies that Ben Burt has worked on, but that's the Foley piece of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like Foley done well, mm-hmm. you do not notice. It's the whole point of Foley is that it should just be natural, right? Yes. And this takes us to the bit that weirds me out in this minute, which I did promise yesterday and I am going to get to, <laughs> um, but we're, we're at like minute at second 37, 38 ish. And he turns that tap to release the poison. Why, why is that a hydraulic tap? <laughs> why is that releasing like a, a sound when it's turned? I don't understand. <laughs> I understand they want a noise to say that we've turned a tap and something is going to happen. <laughs> it's the most out of place noise I can think of. Well, the poison's also like bright green and gloopy and clearly radioactive. So yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Just to, it has just to, to hammer right. home the point that yeah. it is a that's a not good bit of water coming down towards you. Right. It's it's either kids candy or it's going to kill you or possibly yeah. both. I do. The, the, since the original one involves someone uh, blowing it down a bamboo pipe, I suspect this is the Americans trying to be more logical about the whole process. Like it's poison, therefore you know you can't risk it getting near you. And also, yeah. it's about the gravity issue as well. It's not as simple as just pushing it and wait for it to follow down the wire. This needs to be done with some speed because it's an assassination. And so I think, I imagine that what they were thinking was, you know, he's got a gadget for it, basically. It's like, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. press this and it'll push, it'll give it some pressure, push it down. 
I don't know. I I, yeah. I, I, I see your point. I do. Mm. I do. Um, and then, if you actually watch that second, the second half of second 38 is the bit that wits me out. I think what's happened is that they edited and then they re-edited. And there are a few frames that got kept in there that shouldn't have been. But it blinks away to a second to something that I cannot actually make out. Oh. And then blinks back. And it's just as he's turning that um, valve on the thing. And, and, and the, the, the drama is kind of ramped up. The, edit, the cutting is kind of getting quick. Right. But then you get to... Um, second 38 and i'm just watching it now turn the tap at end of second 38 top of second 39 there's just these few scenes of some kind of panning shot and i cannot it's it seems like super out of focus it's really hard to see what it is even if i freeze frame it i'm not yeah, entirely sure yeah. what i'm seeing i also like the kind of nosferatu-esque element of the way cusack's face is framed in the darkness you yes. Know, he's, he's, yeah. You know, and the white gloves with the black cloth, the white satin gloves. It's like, it's like you know, there's a very sinister horror movie like take on how what he's doing here, which is which is rightly so. He's murdering someone <laughs> carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. I'm trying to see the shot you're talking about. Oh, when I still frame it, it looks like it's actually a a tracking shot up. The cord that's been dropped down oh. and it looks so much like it's an artifact that should have been cut out of the film and just got left in by accident i mean considering that they had to ed- do so much editing to get it down and this is back in the days of manual editing this is pre-digital editing you know whatever ended up in whatever ended up in the negative that went to print for interpositives and and, and final prints for cinema make you know presumably on a time frame they had to just certain things just had to be left and you know be done with because there's no more time to make corrections well like a being on an old school steam back <laughs> quite probably i mean you know you make you, know. A, you make the cut with the razor and you 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 you, you, re, you tape it and off you go and then it's like oh well we need to get this all over to the lab mm. you know i got i got the timing wrong it's the bottom of second 39 okay um and it's it's a very very dark couple of frames, and it looks like there's a cord in there tracking up. But I mean, these are all dark shots, so it's a very interesting contrast as well. Because you, at first, the first time you see the victim, you're looking at it through the green haze. So this was the type yeah. of everyone going, "Oh, look, we can figure out how to put video in film now." So let's do that. <laughs> you know, get this without the the scan lines. But then you've all, so, yeah. so at first you think everything's dark, but then you used to get the contrast and. You know he's he's dark in not. I know he's in another room, but it's almost like he's in the attic, kind of thing. And then yep. the, 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 yep. the 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 victim underneath is very much kind of an, in, as you said. There's all the natural light from outside and stuff and all of that. Mm. Uh, very interesting. And 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 it's you know green green camera work. It screams night vision, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the thing. It, Secret Service, yeah. Secret Agent, Hitman. It's all the te- tech, high yeah. tech. Un- yeah, unlike Grosser, this you know. But yeah, I think uh, it's an interesting minute. It's a very illustrative minute. I mean, this is such a lean mm. film. I can see why Armistead cut things down as much as he did because everything becomes learning about... Everything's about character. You know, there's very little in there that is just merely standard storytelling connective tissue. It's a real... There's a, a huge effort made here to uh, 
to make sure that we learn something about Martin in every scene that he's in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it shows that he's uh, meticulous. You know, he's got all this technology, all these gadgets, just to get this job right. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. This is why people pay him to be a professional who does does things this way. Grocer, grocer's probably more like a wet works kind of guy. Yeah, just goes in guns blazing. Very much yeah. so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, I mean, it's also pretty clear that you know, Blank is not a. a a very affordable hitman right everything mm. he uses is high tech he has all of the the bells and whistles the the fax machine that i don't think we're going to stop talking about <laughs> um it's it's just a lot of very very new technology mm. he is well equipped to do anything that he does and i feel like um grocer and his crew are much more you know as you said wet works right mm. like they they have their yeah. pistols they or, or whatever, even in the, the end sequence, you know, pistols or Uzis and, you know, just run through the munitions, chuck the guns, chuck the evidence and book it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I, I wonder if, I, I feel like this is almost like a, uh, a possibly unintentional, I'd like to think it was intentional given it's a comedy. I feel like this is a, uh, this is basically like a commentary on where America is at at this point socially, because it's very, it's, it's like, it's, it's like wall street, right? You know, Oliver Stone does the whole thing with Martin Sheen as the family man. Charlie Sheen is the wannabe guy in the suit with all the tech and getting, making the money. And this is like, what happens if you apply that to the hitman business? <laughs> you know, this is, this is what happens. You get the new boys coming in and they've got the technology and they have the office and they do it all very professionally. Then you have the other guy and his, you know, lousy sedan and, you know. Yeah, misshapen, unironed clothes yeah. that yeah. looks like he's, you know, a divorcee who's, you know, <laughs> now having to fend for himself. And, yeah, right. That's very much the vibe I get. Yeah, yeah, no, I and, agree. You know, yeah. I, imagine I can't imagine he ever was married, but then you see him in his office and it's like everything is kind of like, cellophane off yeah. so that he doesn't have to clean it or something yeah. like i feel like he, i feel like he was not even married but he's paying alimony <laughs> yes uh yeah absolutely yeah yeah uh, right on that note i think that's the uh, minute nine done i think dev i think so yeah right so on that note then uh this was minute nine of the gross point blank podcast Debbie Radio 79.5 FM and it featured your co-hosts, co-writers, co-producers, Dev Soligar and myself, Hugh David. Today's guest was once again, the wonderful Billy Hoku, self-professed generic nerd. Billy, where can we find you online? Uh, find me on my Instagram, uh, dim sum discussions, uh, where you get lots of pictures of uh, food, some dim sum, some dumplings, some great recommendations where you could get them as well. Wonderful. And you can find us at all good podcast players, as well as on YouTube, Twitter, aka X, and Spotify at Debbie Radio. That's D E B I Radio, as well as on our website, DebbieRadio.com. Again, D E B I Radio. And if you want to talk to us, you can find us on the Facebook listener group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Once again, D E B I Radio. Sure was clear that all of this was new Concentrating hard like a little girl 